Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Startup Diaries. In today's episode, we have Issa Dasu Patel, who is the CEO and co-founder of Connect Care, a health tech startup. In this episode, he talks about his approach to getting involved and winning business from the public sector, winning partnerships, driving that across the UK. Issa then covers off a podcast first for us about applying for government grants, how to win them, and how to learn from them when rejected. And then also he talks about building a remote culture within the business. Please subscribe if you like it. Enjoy. Just wanted to take a second or two to tell you about two upcoming Bernstein and Technology Meetup events in September. For anyone interested in data who's interested in learning more about the analytics engineering, join us on Thursday the 15th of September in Dojo's brand new offices near Paddington for four great talks from the likes of Dojo, Bumble, DAZN and LightDash around why analytics and engineering has exploded the way it has, what it does and the value that it can add to your team. Doors open from 6.30 for networking with the first talk at 7. And then for anyone who's more interested in the product world, we have a product panel event on Thursday the 22nd of September, hosted at Tide's offices, just two minute walk from Liverpool Street Station. Product leaders from Tide, Liberis, Monzo, Shares and Dojo will be sharing their own experiences and challenges when it comes to scaling products. Doors open at 6pm. For both of these events, you can sign up via our website at burnsheehan.co.uk or by using the link in the description of each of these episodes. Welcome, Isa. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Uh, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about um, the, your story and the story about uh, Connect Care as well? Wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Um, I guess I've kind of ended up where I am through a bit of luck, probably a lot of luck. Um, I guess some series of nudges from the universe along the way. Um, straight out of uni, I went into management consulting to try and figure out what I wanted to do. I think what I quickly realized is what I didn't want to do, and that was management consulting. Um, I was very fortunate through that to have become a digital and data advisor to NHS Digital's um, director on the national remote monitoring program that was launched during COVID called COVID Oximetry at Home. That was it was definitely the first of its kind in the UK and possibly even globally of supporting people to independently manage their conditions from their own home. And that kind of got me to where I am today at Connect Care, which brings together my experience in, in digital healthcare and also my brother's background, who is my co-founder in pharmacy and elderly care. And what we do is we support patients and the people that care for them. Um, and we give them the confidence to make the most of their medicines. Our focus is on medicines, nothing more, nothing less. Um, we have a great PR agency, um, Crest and Rhiannon from there, if you're listening to this, probably going to but- butcher completely what I was supposed <laughs> to say here. So what we do, so instead of me telling you what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to share with you a quick snippet of um, something one of our team said, what we do. We recently did a survey with all of our team and asked them, you know, what do you think we do to try and see, does everyone kind of know what we do? Yeah. Um, and this is something, I don't actually know who wrote this in the team, but I think it's probably the best characterization I've ever come across and I could ever put together myself. And it's effectively says, with all the noise around digital products these days, we often forget how things used to be, especially around care and medicines. The relationships between patients, pharmacists and clinicians were highly personal. We're building a platform that captures this type of individualized advice, providing services with empathy at their core. And yeah, that's kind of what we do at Connect Care. 
Oh, awesome. Well, there you go. I've never had one of the team write that that opening monologue yeah. for you. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better yeah. myself. Yeah. One, one interesting thing that I think you said there is obviously the management consultant. And uh, I do find it funny that you say the one thing you learned is you didn't want to be a managing consultant. But we've had a few people who've ended up in founder positions or CEO positions be on the show. Do you, do you think that that kind of maybe the grounding in the management consultancy where you maybe have to wear many hats has been useful to where you are now? Has it been some of the skill sets that have sort of well, helps you build those skill sets that maybe you need for leading. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good question, and I think there's definitely a case for me that management consulting prepares you for the world of entrepreneurship in the sense that you are exposed to a lot of different things in completely new industries that you might not have known anything about. Yeah. Um, and you're forced and put into positions that are completely new that you've never you've never done before. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, it's great exposure. I think there's also probably a little bit of self-selection of the types of people that go into management consulting mm-hmm. often are people with kind of varied skill sets that kind of enjoy lots of different things and yeah. often, like me, aren't really sure what they want to do. <laughs> um, but I think there are also, you know, consulting can often be quite theoretical and strategic and high level, whereas obviously running a business is often operational and day-to-day. So there's yeah. some people in consulting that might not suit entrepreneurship but yeah. some people I think they definitely they definitely do great well look you're one of the first businesses that we've had on the show that's really working or showing to work within the public sector um, really be keen for you to talk through how you approach that market how you've tapped into it I mean from from my, my point of view public sector slow moving probably quite like hard to get into so you've obviously found that niche um, and it'd be great so how you built those connections and network within the sector yeah, I won't say it's um, been easy. <laughs> it's definitely tough to break into initially. Um, but to be honest, once you're in, when it comes to the public sector, you're really in. And it really opens up a lot of doors with other public sector institutions and organisations. And Connect Care, we kind of operate at a very unique intersection of both health and social care. Because social care is very much the buzzword these days in, in a lot of policy. And so that involves working both with the NHS and local authorities, which typically um, are responsible for social care in the UK. From the NHS side, I was quite fortunate because of my NHS background. I worked with very senior leadership at the NHS and kind of built a very large network whilst I was there. And I regularly speak to them, keep them posted on what I'm doing, get their advice on things, ask them for introductions. And that's probably what I'd say to people that want to enter this space is don't be afraid to ask introductions to people you know. If you're truly doing something that will help and impact people's lives, NHS people will be more than happy to make introductions because they believe in what you're doing. Yeah. And it's a it's an incredible community in that way where you could reach out to someone who's the head of pharmacy profession at NHS England and they will introduce you to local pharmacy leads in right. Oxfordshire and Lancashire, wherever else you're working. Um, and that brings me on to the second point, which is finding champions is really key as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we are really fortunate that at Lancashire County Council was our first customer. Um, and that was because my brother, who previously worked in the pharmacy world, um, worked very closely with them and kind of told them about the work we were doing, kept regularly in touch with them to explain what we were doing. And so they've been a great champion for us. And I think one of the most incredible champions for us has been Oxford County Council. Okay. They have this thing called an innovation hub, which looks at kind of pioneering technologies and tries to put them into into the market um, and pilot them as well. And they've been incredible for us as well. So I think it's really finding those few people that can really support you and push you along that journey Mm -hmm. but i think it also involves and requires to have a very partnership approach we you know we work with the local authorities and the nhs to co-develop our solutions and services we don't try and pitch them the world we don't go into a conversation saying hey look i have this amazing technology and you should buy it we go in and understand what their needs are what their concerns are what they're struggling with and that's how we kind of work and in even in our government funded project 
um, that's with Oxfordshire County Council. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those kind of things are probably what I would say. And I think lastly is make sure you understand the industry. <laughs> I'm always surprised yeah. by how many founders I speak to in both health and social care who often say to me, oh, you really know the space really well. And I'm kind of like, how do you not? <laughs> if you're in this industry, how do you not know? Even if you don't have an industry background, you mm. should know the industry inside and out mm. if this is the industry you're trying to commercialize in. So in those kind of things are probably what I would say to anyone looking to go into this space. Yeah. That's great. I mean, what, one of the reasons I sort of came across your details and, and reached out to you is that um, the uh, the news around that you'd actually won a government grant. Uh, so I'd be really quite interested to understand for, you know, for any of our listeners what sort of advice you could give to companies who are looking at trying to win a government grant or even how do you source them? Like how do you stumble across these things as well? Yeah, so I think it's, firstly, I would say it's really an avenue that people should seriously consider and founders should consider, um, especially given the market we're starting to go into now as well with yeah. fundraising. Yeah. Um, we are really fortunate that we're at the crossroads of kind of what's called preventative care, healthy aging and, and patient empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, to date, in the last kind of year that we've been running, we've secured about £1.5 million government funding, yeah. which has meant we've not really ne- needed to raise much yet. Yeah. Um, there are lots of grants out there. Like, there's loads. You, can, you could probably spend your whole life just applying to grants um, but it's really important to find the right ones based on the maturity of your business and the product and you know there's some that work at the very early stages just at proof of concept stage some that help you develop your product out some that will help you get funding to pilot technologies um, and some that will take you know existing technologies and design services around them mm. um, so I think it's really important to really do a lot of research to the right ones out there you know it's Innovate UK is obviously one of the big grant providers if you're in healthcare NHS Transformation Directorate has a lot of grants as does SBRI Healthcare um, NIHR so there's lots of different organisations out there that are grant awarding bodies um, I think the thing I would definitely say is that it's really important to build the right partnerships so going back to what I was saying earlier is kind of don't try and go at it alone okay. Um if you're applying for a grant, it's going to be a lot stronger if you apply in partnership with your end users, your end customers, and that could be local authorities, NHS trusts. Um, and it also embeds you within their system. We kind of always say that what we're doing is not a one company mission. Medicines as an area is a very complex area and it's a very, it's an age old problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't solve it alone. So we have to work in partnership with the NHS organization that we work with and the local authorities. Um, so I think it's, it really requires a bit of careful thinking and, and the right approach. But that being said, I would also say that if you don't get it first time around, apply again. Yeah. Um, we actually didn't get our first grant. We applied, we got rejected, but they gave us amazing feedback. We reapplied with that feedback, took it all on board. And second time around, we got the grant. We're really fortunate as always supported by a, an organization called Innovate UK Edge, right. which is a, another government funded organization which provides free of charge support to organizations um, to apply to these grants as well. And they were really pivotal um, to yeah. us getting the grant. Yeah. Just one, one, one phrase you used in there was preventative care. I think is there, is there more, just out of interest is me being just nosy, is there more money going down that route at the moment when it comes from the NHS government? Are they trying to be more, we'd rather prevent the illness rather than have to deal with it once it's kicked in? Is that is that my right in thinking that? Yeah, exactly. See, even going back to the, when, when I said earlier, I was advising to the NHS, mm. the programme I was advising on called COVID Oximetry at Home, that set the wider framework for a programme called NHS at Home. Mm-hmm. And it's in the name, right? It's about delivering care to people in their own home yeah. and in an environment that they are comfortable and 
feel reassured mm-hmm. because right now or historically we provided care in institutions we provide care in hospitals and in gp practices which is very reactive so mm-hmm. for example someone would come into a hospital an older person would come into a hospital because they've fallen over and have a hip fracture and yeah. we deal with the hip fracture yeah. what we weren't dealing with was why are they actually here in the first place right. and how can we ensure they don't end up here again mm-hmm. and that requires a much more proactive way of care delivering care mm-hmm. and a much more preventive way of delivering care of, under, of understanding the root causes so you know to go back to the example of someone falling over why did they fall over in the first place well it's because they're taking you know 10 medicines which is quite common amongst older people one of which um, is known to cause dizziness and they're living by themselves with limited support and fell over in their own home but actually when they came to the hospital if we didn't have preventive care you wouldn't unpick that you would just unpick they're complaining about pain and probably prescribe more medicine to them for their pain Um, so it's really the NHS really thinking around preventative proactive care much more now and I think there's an increased awareness that that's really the only way we can deliver care properly given budgets are constrained interesting that's fascinating I mean I think I feel that your time probably with NHS is probably a completely different podcast not relevant for ours but I imagine (laughs) there's some interesting stuff to be discussed there as well Um, obviously when we were planning this podcast and we were talking around the business and the sort of teething pains of think a lot of startups had is actually one of the things that you mentioned was over the the, the time in which you existed you, you essentially retained the 12 members of staff that you had however i think you were about to lose your first employee um i would be quite interested to find out i guess it might feel a bit raw still um how do you think you've been able to retain the majority of your staff so so well and then what's the kind of takeaway from you on, on losing that first first member of the team yeah, no, really, really good question. And something that we've been thinking a lot about in our company as well is is around this. Um, and especially when you're a young company and you're an early stage startup, you can't often pay the salaries that the market is demanding mm-hmm. or, or people know that they can get. And so you have to find other ways to really, well, first recruit the staff and retain them as well. And I think for us, the mission has been really important. I know all startups say this and everyone says they, you know, their, their mission is, the thing that defines them and their mission is amazing blah 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 but these are not my words um we recently as one of the other surveys we did with our team and um, we're a remote organization or remote first so we do a lot of kind of engagement with our team regularly and one of the things that we asked them was tell us what's going well and what's not going well mm-hmm. and one question we asked was what do you like about life at connect care mm-hmm. and the thing that came out really strongly and and these are the direct quotes from them is doing meaningful work mm-hmm. being in an industry that literally saves people's lives because what we're doing is, you know, we're empowering people to manage their own care. And I think for a lot of people, that's a very relatable thing. They often, when I, whenever I tell someone what I'm doing about our business, they will say, oh, you know, my grandma takes so many pills and I wish she had something like this. Or my mum fell over because she was, of the medicine she was taking. So it's often a very relatable area for a lot of people. Yeah. So we try to bring in people that are aligned with that mission and really care about it. Um, we, as you said, we lost our first team member recently. And to be honest, that was reasons beyond our control. But what that did do is within the organization accelerated a piece of work, which we called the difficult pills, mm-hmm. where we effectively look at, we looked and were introspected as to what, what could we be doing better in this team? Yeah. What are we not doing right right now? Um, and where are the rooms for improvement? I'm always of the opinion that you can do things better. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm too hard on myself, uh, or maybe that's what others call a growth mindset. But I do believe that in any organization, no matter how young or mature you are, there is room for improvement. And instead of us deciding what we should change and how we should change it, we posed that question again to our team. And we had kind of a long survey that went out anonymously Mm. um, around lots of different aspects, being some aspects being team values and culture, some being team one-on-ones performance reviews, 
team socials, um, kind of looking at everything. Mm. And then we, based on that feedback we got, we put in a whole suite of um, kind of things to respond to that based on what we'd heard. Mm. One of which, for example, was um, better mental health support. Um, one of which was kind of find the right balance between in-person versus um, remote mm. kind of um, socials um, and challenging assumptions that we had. Because I had assumed that actually, whilst everyone is happy working from home, they also want, they don't really want to meet up in person for socials. Yeah. But actually the resounding feedback, some people wrote, please, God, no virtual socials, <laughs> <laughs> which is very clear to me as a steer, right? Okay, yeah. people do actually want to meet up in person for yeah, socials. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of finding that right balance. And, yeah. and that really brought our team together a lot yeah. um, because I think it made them realize that we do care about the way they want to do things. That it's not just me saying, well, I want, you know, to go for team golf. So therefore we're going to go for team golf. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of stuff that we've done to try and retain our team and also make sure that this is the kind of organization people want to work in. Yeah. How dispersed is your team then across the UK? Is it quite broad or you've got clusters? Um, yeah, it's pretty broad. So we've got a cluster in Lancashire. So we've got um, three people up in Lancashire. Um, we've got and a new person joining um, in a couple of months as well. Mm. We've got a lot of people around the London area, not, not necessarily in London. We've got mm. myself and three others in London, a couple just outside, um, one person in Bristol, um, one person in Kent, so yeah, pretty, pretty, and actually my friend um, who I was at university with, who I actually hired, she's in Virginia. So, uh, <laughs> that's pretty, a bigger, that's a bigger commute. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, that's great. I think one of the things just to sort of flag on there, and obviously you mentioned the salaries right at the top, is if it's a little bit positive news, we are starting to see salaries, kind of the, the, the hyper growth in salaries, a little bit sort of, tally off a little bit um, I think just due to market conditions but we've seen exponential growth ridiculously here at Burnsheen you know, over the last 18 months with mm -hmm. especially technologists um, but that's yeah something just to add into that one of the things I'd love to jump jump into though is how you've kind of built you know how you're building your your, your unique culture especially as a remote first business you obviously mentioned doing more meetups hopefully um, but yeah is there anything else that you can give to our listeners around how you kind of building that yeah um, I won't. I think this is this has not been without its challenges, mm -hmm. and it's required a very conscious effort um, on my part and also the, the wider leadership of the organisation. Um, I think we've really made sure that we see this aspect just as important as our day to day work. So I think often you know you get busy with your day to day work and mm -hmm. you know that oh, you know I need to organise. We need to organise something, or we need to figure out how we communicate our values or how we come together as a team, and you can deprioritise it all the time. So we we made sure it was really important from day one and important we put the onus not just on the leadership on the entire team mm -hmm. to to look at this and to to really take this forward um because early members of the team will really affect the culture of the organization it's really important to get the right people in and the ones that will take charge of driving forward that culture as well yeah. um and that's something we are very conscious of and i think we've kind of achieved this through multiple ways um, and i'm again going to draw back on the surveys that we did um because we looked at this as one of the areas. I think fundamentally, I think the thing that's always stood out for us as an organization is we're very flexible. Um, you know, someone, one of the quotes was, we understand real life, where, you know, we don't expect everyone to be in the office at the exact same time, we're not the office, the virtual office at the exact same time. You know, people have kids, people have family commitments, people have things that they're dealing with. So we're quite flexible in the way people can work and where they can work from. And, you know, someone's, one of our team members, for example, he's currently in Malaysia because his family are from Malaysia and he's not seen them in a year. Right. So right. he's spending two weeks on holiday there and two weeks working from there. Yeah. And that's fine as long as, you know, the work gets done and his team are able to work around that as well. Mm -hmm. So we're very flexible in that sense and that's built a very unique culture 
culture, which is quite a supportive and collaborative environment. Um, and it's also a very authentic environment where we kind of let people just be themselves and come to work and be themselves. And that, again, has fostered a quite unique culture that we have as a, as a remote organization um, where you can still get to know someone even though you're virtual. Um, so I think those have been quite important to us. And then probably a third aspect is autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of let people get on with it and, and figure out the solutions, the problems they're having and work with each other to do that. It's not a very hierarchical, top-down organization. Mm-hmm. And whilst these things might not naturally seem things that relate to being a remote organization, it's what for us has defined the way we are as an organization. And it means that people are in a, in a team that is suited and works around them yeah. rather than a team that's kind of been dictated from the top. And then that's been really important um, uh, as an organization. Like I said, the onus has not just been on me, but everyone in the team and the people we have, I think I'd like to think within the organization are just generally yeah. nice mm-hmm. and fun to work with um, and are kind yeah. of very collaborative and supportive of each other as well. Yeah. I do often, one of your first points there, those early hires that I think some people really underestimate when they're building a business, how pivotal they are and to, to driving it throughout the kind of generations of hires within mm-hmm. the business. So no, that's good. To, that's a really good good point to, to bring up. I don't think that's one we've really had on, on the podcast before. So thanks for that. Um, I guess we go into those last two questions we always ask uh, our guests on the podcast. And that's really, it could be related to, to your time at the startup or time within NHS or consultancy. But what's the biggest challenge that you've had in your career to date? Mm, I think it would probably be right now is finding the right balance <laughs> right. Um, in lots of different ways. Um, I think when you're a CEO of a company, there's so many different things. There's so many different things you have to think about and worry about that keep you up at night. Um, and it's finding the balance between kind of the short-term priorities versus the long-term priorities. Um, you know, right now, like we've got, for example, a really big project going live on the 1st of September um, with the NH- with a new integrated care board up in the northwest of England. And, you know, that's kind of a, a long I guess in a way short term but also a long term priority and at the same time you know I'm coming here to do a podcast I'm going to go to conferences how mm-hmm. do I find the right balance between all of those things that's yeah. often quite tricky um, and then kind of on the more day to day and I think it's probably relatable to most tech businesses is how do you find the right balance between launching the perfect product which is really ready and, and amazing and perfect versus quickly launching something that just does the job and yeah. works iterating from there and I know that's often a point of contention between CEOs and, and CTOs and tech leads yeah. um, I think for me personally as well kind of finding the right balance between work and life is tricky yeah. um, you know I, I'm not really someone that I'm a very all or nothing kind of person so I find it very hard to <laughs> find that balance uh, luckily I've been able to find a good work-life balance um, which has been good but it's you know it's not always easy yeah no good thanks for that and then the final question um it could be to either way really what bit of advice would you give to either someone looking to start their own business or even jump into joining a startup you can pick either one on that one yeah i think just go and do it <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't wait for the right time or the right thing to come up people mm. are always like oh well i know i want to start my business i'm not quite sure when um i think i should stay in my job for a little bit longer you know, there's never a right time there's never a right opportunity you have to kind of find the opportunities and the opportunities will come once you go and pursue something i was speaking to a friend recently he he wants to start a, a tech company as well and he works elsewhere right now and he was like oh but you know i want to make this first and do this i was like just go and do it yeah just do it and then everything will happen and he did and he's now really happy so yeah. um i think yeah just don't think too much just go and do it perfect there we go well look he uh, said really appreciate you joining us today um and, and thanks for your advice and talking through the, the, this journey of uh, and, uh, and journey as well.
so really appreciate you having it on this. Um, yeah.